Well, praise God. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Oh, let's go ahead and praise we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the great love that you've showed us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. And this morning, Father, as we um, begin to, to take a look at your word, I, I pray that our, our hearts are open to receive what you would have for us this morning, Father. Lord, that we would be challenged and convicted, and it would spur us to be more obedient to you, to live and look like Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to go ahead and deal with part two of personal responsibility. Everybody's, favorites, everybody's favorite thing is responsibility. And uh, last week we looked at how there was just a, a couple of two uh, prevailing ideas that I'm seeing in society that uh, I think are setting people up for failure. And one, the first one we talked about, right, was the idea that um, everything is somebody else's fault. Everything that happens to me is somebody else's fault. Matter of fact, that right now that is so prevailing uh, in, our, in our, our country and our culture and even in our government that, uh, that the reason why a majority of people in this country have it rough is, is because somebody did it to them. It was somebody else's fault. And uh, there's just no, no uh, culture of personal responsibility anymore. We can just blame it on somebody else. That's why things is rough. And the other idea that we seem to go along, this this idea that everybody is owed something. Why don't we start that with our kids when they're young, right? They're playing t-ball. And, and, and uh, when, I was, when I was young, when I first started out, you actually had to, to win if you wanted to get a trophy. But now you get a ribbon just for showing up. And uh, the reality is, is that, that we're not instilling this, this sense of uh, 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 you have to work for stuff. Everyone just thinks they're owed something. But understanding that is all well and good. We looked at the theology behind it, what the scripture says about it, how we found out that it turns out that this mentality started in the Garden of Eden with, uh, with uh, Adam and Eve. So this is uh, something that's been going on for a long time. But knowing about it and knowing it's there leaves us in, in, a, in a bit of a pickle because it's like all well and good to know about it. But the good news is the Bible also gives instruction with how to deal with it as well. So yes, last week was more about the, the, the theology behind this idea of personal re responsibility. And today I want to look at the practical application of being personally responsible in your life. Today we're going to take a look at how we can live our lives to ensure that we're, at, we're taking responsibility for our own lives and for our own actions. I once heard that our responsibility... Our ability to respond is one of our, our greatest superpowers in life. You see, because how you choose to respond to something um, will greatly impact the quality, or at least certainly your perception of the quality of your life. You can choose to respond in a multitude of different ways, but how you respond will impact how your life is lived and really how you feel about yourself. And what we talk about today, we're going to go through a lot of different things that I think that the Bible says that we need to be personally responsible in. But I want you to know that this isn't an all-encompassing list. There's much more to it. But these are some ones that I did want to point out that I think are important. So the first one we're going to look at is in 1 Timothy 6, 20-21. And the first thing that I think is our responsibility is to guard what has been entrusted to us. We have a responsibility to guard the gospel in our lives and what we allow to influence. And this is what uh, Paul told Timothy. He said, Timothy, guard the deposit. This is 1 Timothy 6, 20 through 21. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from their faith. Faith, grace be with you. It's going to be one of those days, I think. My tongue is just not going to work. Hallelujah. But it, it, it says that we're to guard what has been entrusted to us. That means you have to be careful with what you let in your head. You have to be careful what you see with your eyes and what you let yourself hear. 2 John 1, 9 through 11 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, but whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Forever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John says you're not even supposed to greet people that come with a different teaching. Now, this doesn't mean be a jerk. And what he's really talking about is, is doesn't mean that, that we can't talk to people that don't believe the same as us, right? It would be impossible to share the gospel, right? People that have different teachings, we actually want to persuade them in the truth of the gospel. What this is talking about specifically in John is, is don't support people in your house, right? If it's a traveling minister preaching something wrong, you don't put them up in your house so they can go and preach, right? Because then you're a part of what they're doing. So it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be jerks, but it also means that we have to be careful to not let people have the opportunity to persuade us, persuade us of a different gospel or a different anything else. And there's two ways that we can do this. One, we need to make sure that we're not listening to false religions. I know there's a lot of false religions out there. All of them except for Christianity. And the thing about people is they're always going to be trying to persuade you about what they believe. And their arguments are designed to persuade. You can make really good arguments for anything that you want to. It's very easy to, to, to put these things together to make, you, to make it seem to make sense. I, uh, I, I really like watching debates on YouTube between atheists and Christians. And I'm always amazed and how much I want to believe the atheists when they put their argument. I'm like, man, that makes a lot of sense. If I, was, I don't even know how the Christian's going to respond. Like, how do you, res- I mean, that was a good argument. And then the Christian gets up there and blows them out of the water. I'm like, oh, okay. And I note that down in case anybody ever brings that argument to me. Because they put together persuasive arguments. So you have to be really careful with what you're allowing into your head because they're going to put together persuasive arguments. And the next thing you need to do is know your word. This is actually how you deal with those persuasive arguments. You have to know your word. That means you actually have to be a disciple. That means you actually have to to, to be disciplined in your faith. That's what it is to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. You have to read your word because if you don't read your word, you you can't know your word. And if you don't know your word, then it doesn't even take a persuasive argument to lead you astray. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Tell you what, this last election season exposed a ton of false prophets. And that's how you test prophets. If what they say doesn't come true, they're a false prophet. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's where we're trying to get. And we have all these ministries to help us get there. And it's your responsibility to also dig into the Word because people are going to be telling you stuff and the reason why these things happen, if you continue on in Ephesians 4, verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We have to know our word and we have to be equipped. That's why we come to church on, on Sunday morning. That's why you should be going to Bible studies. That's why you should be reading your Bible every day and spending time in prayer so that you are equipped to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because that's the thing, those arguments I was telling you about, if you don't have a solid foundation in the Word, they don't even have to be good arguments. Because you won't have anything to come back with. It's like, oh, that just makes sense. But if we will be responsible for this area of our lives, then we're not going to be having found to have swerved from the faith. I know that I don't want to swerve from the faith. And the only way you can make sure that you're not is actually to know your word, to actually know what your faith is. Amen? Next up is we have a responsibility to be transformed. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Seems to me there's only two options. You can either be conformed to the world, or you can be transformed. That's your options. The truth is, is the world preaches to you every single day on TV, on advertisements, on the radio. Everything that you see is designed to preach to you. And you have a choice. You can, you can go along with the culture, agree with the culture, agree with what's going on, and be conformed to this world. And the downside is, is that uh, that might be more comfortable. That's one of the dangers of it. Or you can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that means today you're going to have to take a stand against some of the common ideologies in the culture right now. And it's going to be less comfortable. But the scripture, this is a command. This isn't a, this isn't a good suggestion. And it's not something that happens by osmosis either. It says, don't be conformed, be transformed. It's a commandment for us to be transformed. And the way that we do this is like we just talked about a little while, is you actually need to spend time in your word. You're going to be surprised how much the answer is know your word. Renewal of the mind doesn't just happen by osmosis. Oh, I wish it did. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be easy if you could just slip your Bible under your pillow and go to sleep and wake up the next morning and know it? That would be nice. Really, you're going to have to show the rest of us. George is going to be doing a special teaching on how to ingest the Bible in your sleep. He just volunteered. We'll get that set up soon. For the rest of us, until that gets put together, we're going to have to read it ourselves. Hallelujah. You have to spend time in the Word. Because without it, your mind can't be renewed. I wrote a list of things that I wouldn't know if I didn't read God's Word. One, I, we can't know that we're forgiven if it's not revealed to us in God's Word. We can't know that we're no longer a slave to sin. We can't know that we're free 
We can't know that we're no longer bound by death, but alive in him. We can't know that we're victorious. We can't know that we're more than conquerors. We can't know that we're healed by his stripes. We can't know that the enemy no longer has power over us. We can't know that no weapon formed us against us shall prosper. We can't know that we can cast our cares on him. We can't know that we shouldn't be anxious for anything. We can't know that we don't have a spirit of fear. And we can't know how much we're loved. That's just a small list. But if you don't read your word, how are you going to know any of those things? That's where you find that out. When I stand before you and say, if you have Jesus Christ, then you're forgiven. It's, it's, it's not because I pulled that out of the air. It's because I read it in my word. That's what it says. That's how I know it's true. But none of these things can be known unless it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And that happens when you're reading your word. This is our responsibility. One of the things that uh, people are often concerned about when we talk about ministering the gospel is they feel like they don't know enough. And I got two things to say to that. One, every single person in this room knows more about the Bible than most people in third world countries, than most third world pastors, because you've heard it your whole life. And two, why don't you know it better? That's your responsibility, to know it better. The next thing that we need to be personally responsible in as in Christians is, is taking care of our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It is our responsibility to take care of our families. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's our responsibility to take care of our families. And this doesn't mean the government's not going to do anything. And this doesn't uh, mean that the church is not going to do anything. But we have to understand that the responsibility is for us, not the government or the church. The church, for sure, comes to the aid of those who need it. But we mustn't ever get some sort of entitlement attitude about it, like somehow the church owes us something. The truth is, is that we're called to take care of our families. And Paul's actually kind of strict about this. In 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 4, he says this, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has, grand, has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. Taking care of your family shows godliness. Did you know that? It says, let them first show to sh learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Paul said, only honor widows who are truly widows. That means that have nobody else to help them. If it's a young lady and she's a widow, she's got family around her, it was expected that the, the family step up and take care of them. Or the children should take care of their parents. You know, he says it's, it's only right. He says it makes some return for their parents. Parents spent, for our generation, our generations, we spent 18 years raising our, our kids. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul even had some harsh words for those who wouldn't take care of their family or extended family I don't know if you notice this but this is pretty harsh listen if you don't take care of the members of your own household and your relatives then you have denied the faith and you are worse than an unbeliever that's pretty scary
guess what? Not only are you supposed to take care of your family, you need to take care of yourself too. That's another area that we need to be responsible in. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, it says, For even when we were with you, we would, not, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons are commanded, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Just because we're supposed to take care of our family, if you find yourself in that position where someone's helping to take care of you, that doesn't mean that you have a license to take advantage of people's love and generosity. We have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. We have a responsibility to put in the time and the effort. Although I'm thinking about it, the way that's worded, it says if we don't work, we don't eat. I could use that as a diet program. I'm just going to quit work, stop eating, lose some weight, and then we'll get back to work. Here's the thing, guys, is that we're supposed to be working. You're not supposed to be doing nothing. You're not supposed to expect somebody else to take care of you. And it's certainly not owed to you. We have a, a generation right now, really an entire culture, that thinks that somebody owes them something for something that happened to somebody they didn't even know. And now they're owed something, and they don't want to work. They don't want to put in the time. It's always somebody else's fault that they're in the situation that they're in, when really if they would just get off their butts and, and go to work and do something and earn an honest living, they could claw themselves out of where they're at. I said last week, I recognize that some people are starting in a more beneficial position than others. I recognize that. But it doesn't mean we, anybody has to stay where they're at. They can claw their way out. We also have a responsibility, I think, to make sure that other people aren't taking advantage. We need to be willing to challenge people, particularly in the church, people that have given you permission to speak into their lives. We should be willing to challenge people if they're not going to work, if they're not doing what they need to be doing, if they're just being slothful or lazy. We need to be able to challenge those people. And then for ourselves, we just need to understand that we should be providing for ourselves. We need to be willing to, to work and earn a living. We need to be willing to not be a burden to others. And not believe that we're owed something just because we exist. And for others, we need to understand that we're not helping people when we provide for them and they refuse to help themselves. That's actually not helping. One of the things, one of the phrases that drives me crazy is uh, this idea of tough love. Actually, one person had a comment on one of our videos because I said I made this comment that I don't like the word tough love and he told me where it came from and who coined it and apparently I was insulting that guy. I didn't intend to insult anybody. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I just don't like the phrase tough love because I don't think it's tough. I think it's just love. It's not tough love. It's just love. That's how you love people. You don't, you don't let them stay where they're at, but you challenge them and help them grow and get out of it. As a church, one of the things that I always make sure that we do, because we do give out money and we, we, we help people, and we have a, a, a 
page on our website. If anybody needs help, they can go on and fill out and ask for it, and, and, and we're willing to help. We've helped a lot of people pay rent and bills and buy food and all kinds of things. But one of the things that I always do is ask them, okay, this is where you're at now. You need help with rent. What's going to happen next month? Because I'm not in the business of enabling people to not pay their bills. We're there to help people when they need help, but we still need to challenge them to work out of where the situation that they're in. There has to be light at the end of the tunnel. Because I don't want them to just be, you know, on church welfare essentially, repeatedly coming after the free money and thinking they don't have to work. And doing this is love. I, I don't want them to stay where they're at. I want them to be victorious. And the same goes for anybody that you know. Make sure that you're not enabling them to stay in the place that they're at. Amen. Next one of our responsibilities is that we need to work unto God when we work. Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Another one that's very similar is Ephesians 6, 5-7. through 7. He says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to men. This means as Christians, it's our responsibility to work hard. It's our responsibility to be reliable, to be faithful, Doing a good job at work is more than just bringing home a paycheck. We need to make sure that we're not doing by way of eye service. That means only working when the boss is looking. Trying to do your, the, the, as little work as possible. Make sure that you're doing a good job. Doing what your job role requires you to do. And the truth is you should be doing it better than ever. We should be working as though God himself were our employer. The truth is, is that, and I know it's not legally allowed to ask about religion on a job application, but man, when you go to a job interview and you say you're a Christian, that should be what people are looking, oh, you're a Christian, I, I've had Christians work for me. They work hard and I don't even have to watch what they're doing. They're honest, they have integrity. That's what should happen, it's not what happens. But if we were living our lives the way we should, that's what it would look like. Matter of fact, it would be a boon to have a Christian working for you because you know that they would be doing a great job. Because we should be working as though God is our employer. You ever had one of those bosses that really cared about their people, just great people to work with? I had a boss when I was, I was working in a restaurant when I was young. I was in high school still. And, and uh, this manager came in and he was just amazing. He worked with us for about six months. And the guy touched me so much that when he left, I was in tears. He was such a great boss. God's that kind of boss. You know, it's a lot easier to go to work when you recognize that God's your boss and you're working for him instead of something. He cares about you. He's going to make sure that you're taken care of. You know, he gave us his life when Jesus went to the cross. It's our responsibility to give, us, give him our life in return. Amen. The next thing that we need to do is be obedient and healing. In James 5.14 it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. In 1 Peter 2.24, we hear that scripture that we've all heard, by his wounds you have been healed. This is a quote from Isaiah 53.5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. A lot of people say, no, this is national healing that it's talking about. But even if you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word includes physical healing. And then on top of that, in Matthew 8, 16 through 17, uh, when you have a chance, look that up. Um, Matthew refers to it as physical healing as well. It says he healed all that were sick. And this was, this was to fulfill what was said in Isaiah. So one of the things that I know that if you've been going to this church that, that we teach is that, that physical healing is actually purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ. By his stripes, we have been made whole. We receive his wholeness when he gave his life. But I also believe that we have a responsibility. And this is one of them. The scripture says, is anyone of you, among you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Ask for the laying of hands. That's what we're instructed to do when somebody is sick, is to actually go to the elders. Ask people to pray for you, to lay hands on you. And there's no sickness that is too small to receive healing from. You got a headache? Ask someone to pray for you. You got a bruise? Ask somebody to pray for you. The problem is, is, is we all think we're inconveniencing God. Oh, this is too minor of a thing. I don't want to bother God. Like his power is limited or something. Like if you, if you ask for, for, for a prayer for your, for your headache, he's just not going to have enough left to heal that person of cancer. Somehow we're going to run him out. So you're not bothering God when you ask for prayer for these things. The scripture says if you're sick, call on the elders. And I recognize that there are times that we lay hands on people and they, they don't get healed. We've seen it in this church. I've seen it in other churches. I've also seen we lay hands on people and miraculous healings. And I don't know why sometimes it happens and why sometimes it doesn't. What I do know is the scripture says to do these things. And we're going to be obedient. We do what the word says. This is what God has called us to do. And then here... In James, and also if you read first, uh, a portion of 1 Timothy, you're going to see this mention, I believe, of medicine. First off here, it says, call for the elders of the church, lay them pray over them, anointing him with oil. Many scholars believe that this idea of, oil, of anointing people with oil for healing uh, probably comes from back then. Healing or oil was used as a medicinal compound back then. And that may be where that comes from. Also in 1 Timothy 5.23, it says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments. Paul's talking to Timothy about using medicine. He's saying, look, if, you're, if your stomach's not feeling well, take some Pepto-Bismol. Listen, if, if, if you've got a headache, take some Tylenol. Take some Motrin, and then ask somebody to pray for you. It's unwise to not use the tools that God has given us. When I uh, done some mission work with Overland Missions, are based out of uh, uh, Zambia, and uh, they actually require any missionaries coming over now to take anti-malaria uh, medicine. It's now it used to be an option, but people would come in and they would say, "Nope, I, I believe God's gonna gonna take care of me," and they wouldn't take the medicine, and they, and they had several people die from malaria. And I said, "You know what? We're done with this. If you're gonna come work over here, you need to take the anti." 
uh, malaria medicine. And that's the thing is that somehow we think that if we take medicine, we're not trusting God. But God has provided these things. I think you can take medicine and trust God. The key is what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the medicine or are you trusting in God to use the medicine? There's a difference. One of my favorite stories is about that guy who's stuck in a flood and the waters are rising. First he's sitting on his porch, the water's coming up, water's up to his porch, and uh, uh, the, the uh, truck runs by and says, hey, you need to get out of here, it's getting ready to flood. And he says, no, 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 I'll be fine, my God will save me. And the water begins to rise, and now it's so high, he has to climb uh, up to, it's his second floor. And then a boat comes by and they see the guy and say, hey man, we can save you. Jump in the motor, he's like, no, 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 my God will save me. And the water keeps rising. Finally, he has to climb on his roof and a helicopter flies over his head and they see him. They say, come on, get on the helicopter. We can save you. And he says, no, no, my God will save me. And then the water continues to rise. The man drowns. And he stands before God and says, God, what happened? Why didn't you save me? And he says, what do you mean? I sent a truck and I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. (laughs) Trust God. Use medicine. Just make sure you're not trusting in the doctors or the medicine to heal you. Instead, trusting God to use those people to do work. Amen? And, and, and as far as this stuff goes, let's just be obedient. One of the things that we started doing when we pray for people is, I don't know where it ran off to now, but we have a little jar of oil up here, and I just started using oil on people all the time. That's what the Scripture says to do. That's what I'm going to do. It's simple as that. And I think that's part of our responsibility is to be obedient to the Word of God. Amen? Next, parents, this is for you or anyone who plans on being a parent someday. You need to teach your kids. That's, that's one of your responsibilities. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me give you a few more verses that have to do about raising kids. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he would love, who loves him is diligent to discipline him. <gasps> Are you saying the Bible says that we need to, to spank our kids? Yes. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. I'm not saying abuse your kids. Don't abuse your kids. But you do need to discipline your kid. And I think we might have a whole lot mess in this world if more parents were willing to just pop their kid on the butt every now and then. Amen. <laughs> but parents, we must train our children. We must teach our children the ways of God and how to walk in them. That's our responsibility. We also need to teach them personal accountability and personal responsibility. If, we're, if we teach them that they're entitled or that someone owes them something when they're little, think about how they'll be when they grow up. Truth is, is that it's time parents started teaching again to their children that life isn't fair. I remember when I was a kid, Mom, this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Get over it. <laughs> we need to teach kids sometimes you lose. We need to teach kids that sometimes you don't get what you want. And you don't always get a trophy just for showing up. truth is life isn't fair and that can be a hard pill to swallow but you know what the best part about that is grace isn't fair either one of the craziest things that people say to god is that 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 why am i being held responsible for what adam did i just want what i deserve no you don't (laughs) 
I just want to be held up for what I'm responsible for. Nope, not a good idea. The best part about grace is it's not fair. We get it even though we don't deserve it. Amen. And one other thing, Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need to discipline our kids. We need to teach them and put them on the right road, but we need to make sure that we're not abusing them or pushing them so hard that they, that they just get lost, that they don't know what to do because everything's wrong. We have a responsibility to be good parents. Amen? Our job's not to exasperate our children, but rather to teach them. And our job is to prepare them for life. You know, one of the things that I think that has uh, messed up uh, plenty of families is that parents are trying to be their children's friend. Your job is not to be your children's friend. Your job is to prepare them for life. If you can be their friend at the same time, that's awesome. But know which one is your first priority. It's to prepare them for life. Amen? But don't worry, parents. Now it's time to talk to the children's. They're all over here, so... <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says this, uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children obeying their parents is actually a commandment of God. Amen. And Paul gives a couple of reasons for, for them to do so. First, it says in the Lord... Um, this means as Christians, our children should actually behave, be behaving like Christ as well. doesn't matter how young you are. If you're a Christian, you should be behaving like Christ. And Jesus was not just the model for adults, but he was the model for children as well. John 5, 19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. That was a model for children, to do what their fathers do. Now this means, as a parent, you have a responsibility to be someone your, your kids can model after. To be an example to them. And then he says, it is right. <clears throat> he says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's a right thing to obey your parents. They care for you. They make sure you have food and shelter. They go above and beyond to make sure that that, that you're, you have everything you need to enjoy life. The truth is, kids today, uh, and, and, and all you people that, are, that have been around for a while know it, we got a lot better than, than uh, when you were kids. We, don't have, we didn't have wooden blocks or, or homemade dolls. Today's generation, they got Nintendo Switches and cell phones. They've, they've, they've got it pretty good. Also, Kids need to understand that, that the parents have been looking out for them since the day that they were born, keeping them safe with the very instructions that they likely despised. The thing is, is that as a parent, if you're, if you're a good parent and you're, you're, you're giving instructions for their benefit, right? When a, when a, a parent tells their kids they, can't, they have to stop and look both ways before crossing, it's not because we're wanting them to slow down on their path to fun so they don't get hit by a car. When we tell our kids to clean their room, it's not because we're trying to, to, to make sure that they have a dull evening cleaning their room. It's because that, uh, having a, a, a dirty room can invite health issues, both mental and uh, physical issues with food and stuff around or junk all over the floor being a health hazard. 
When we tell kids that just because they got their license, they can't drive anywhere that they want to with anybody that they want, it's not because that we're trying to steal their fun. It's because they just don't have the experience to do that yet. They need to practice and learn. When we give our children instruction, it's to help them grow. And, and children, they need to recognize that. And then finally, there's the promise that comes along with it. And you can read about that in Exodus 20, 12. But this, the first commandment with the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If you want it to go well with you and live long in the land, obey your parents. God will bless you if you're obedient to your parents. Amen. And being obedient to your parents, and this is the, the thing that I think that many people miss. Being obedient to your parents is being obedient to God. Amen. Next thing we have to be responsible be thing we have to be responsible for is this little thing under your nose. You have to watch what you say. Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The things that we say are our own responsibility. Our words should be uplifting and encouraging and caring, and they should never be used to tear people down. And the careless words that he's talking about, the, the careless words, you know, that's your small talk. The stuff that you say that you don't even really think about. You're going to give an account for those. And if even our small talk is under scrutiny when we stand before the Lord, how much more so our deliberate words? Our small talk is what comes out when we're not really thinking about it. It's actually a pretty good judge of your character. It's what comes out when you're not thinking about it. Matthew 12, 34 through 35 says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What you say comes out of what's in your heart. And your small talk can be a pretty good judge of your character because it's the stuff that comes out without you having to think about it. That's the stuff that you say when you think nobody's watching and you don't have to filter it. But here's the thing. If we're saved and we're righteous and we're forgiven, then only words befitting of one who is such should exit our lips. Amen? Next, we're responsible to do the right thing. James 4.17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Not only are we to abstain from doing the wrong thing, even not doing the right thing is a sin. So obviously doing the wrong thing is a sin. We all know that. But the Bible says not even, but if you don't do the right thing, that is also a sin. And this is a tough one for people because that means just idly sitting by and doing nothing. That's not an option. It's not an acceptable solution to your life. You should be doing the right thing. And it also means that we're to live out God's call on our lives. God has called each and every one of you to something. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And to sit by and idly not do that, not doing the right thing for you, that is sin. Sitting back and doing nothing is not the place you want to be. Amen? And then we'll go ahead and finish up here. We need to make sure and we're responsible for using the time that has been given to us. 
Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I don't know if you know this, but your days are limited. And we have work to do. So you can't just wait forever to do it. Every day you have one less day. And time goes goes by fast. You know, one of the things that was uh, thinking about numbering your days that that caught me the other day was a guy. um, I don't remember who was. I don't remember who he was. But he's talking to somebody and he says, "Listen, how often do you see your parents?" And the guy goes. Well, I see them about, you know, once or twice a year. And he goes, how old are they? He said, well, they're in their 60s. He said, well, they're probably going to live to 80, so you've got about 20 more years. So if you only visit them once or twice a year, that means that you've only got 20 to 40 more visits left. That's something to think about, huh? Maybe we should start focusing on those things, numbering our days and recognizing when you think about it that way, you go, wow, maybe I should visit more often. And then for us, when we think about that, we only have so long left to do the work that God has given us. And we have a responsibility to do the work that God has given us in the time that he has allotted us to do it in. I never want to stand before God knowing that somebody else had to do the work that he called me to do. It's our responsibility to go out and not put off what we have for today. The truth is, procrastination is a terrible thing. And I know because I'm good at it. Like I'm exceptionally good at it. It's unfortunate. It's a quality my son has too, unfortunately. See, here's the problem. Because we're so good at it, we don't get burned all that often. And because we don't get burned all that often, we think we can keep doing it. <laughs> but it's not a good thing the truth is is that, that if you want to have some, some time to do those things that you were procrastinating to do get your stuff done first and then you don't have to worry about it and when we talk about life we've only got so much left the truth is you don't know what tomorrow has for you anything could happen Today could be your last day on earth. Did you do everything that God called you to do so far? Number your days. So we'll close with this. Church, I want to challenge you to be a, challenge all of us to be a people who understand that our time is limited here on earth. And because of that, we need to be a people who take responsibility for the things that we do and the way that we live our life. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.